Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward His name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That you be not slothful, slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. It sets the record straight. Wherein God more willing to, excuse me, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. I want to pause there just to say that I read everything up until now to give you a setting of really what is my text for tonight, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Sorry to tell you that I'm not speaking on Melchizedek tonight, although we could talk about him, but I'd like to speak to you on the anchor of hope. The anchor of hope. We talked about anchors enough in the last few weeks, and this may be the last time I speak about anchors, although I may sneak a message in the first Sunday of March uh, related to that. Um, but I've, I've learned in studying the Bible that if you're going to understand an analogy or a metaphor, you need to figure out what the real thing being illustrated is like and what it does. So if you were going to study the parables of Jesus when he said, I am the door, then you would need to know what a door is or a gate to the sheepfold, what it is and what it does, so you'd understand what Jesus was trying to illustrate. When Jesus speaks about leaven or yeast, you need to know what leaven is and what it does if you're going to understand what Jesus is trying to say. So when the Bible uses the idea of hope being an anchor of the soul, you need to know what hope is and what hope does, or what an anchor is and what an anchor does, if you're going to know how hope is like an anchor to you. We've talked about an anchor enough in the last few weeks, but, but I want to review because I think it's important to kind of get this in our mind. An anchor keeps you from drifting, right? I think maybe we got that down after several weeks of saying that an anchor keeps you from drifting. And you know, you've heard some of my stories, but I was thinking through some of my anchor stories. Uh, a lot of them are not good stories. Those are the ones that tend to stick in your mind. 
So I've lost anchors, uh, dropped an anchor overboard and realized it wasn't tied to the boat. And the anchor disappeared and lost a perfectly good anchor and anchor rope. I've banged anchors against the side of the boat, pulling them in, which is never good. I've dropped an anchor on the deck of the boat. That always has a horrible sound to it. I've tugged and pulled on an anchor until I was sore from trying to pull it in. It was kind of hung up. And I've had anchors hang up where you couldn't pull up and leave. I've had anchors on more than one occasion that wouldn't dig into the bottom. It was sandy and you couldn't get a good hold and you just kept drifting. So you don't have to be a sailor or a deckhand on a ship to have a basic understanding of what anchors are and what they do. An anchor is designed to keep you from drifting, to hold you steady in a current often that is exerting a force on your boat. Uh, anchor is, of course, connected to a rope that is connected to a boat. That cable is also very important. Where you anchor is important that you have some structure or a type of a bottom to the, the lake or the ocean, a river, that will actually hold you because if it won't, then you're just going to drift away. And you hope when you cast an anchor out of a boat that it, it grabs hold of something and catches. Uh, that's very, very important that an anchor works like you planned it to, to keep you from drifting. In boating and in life, you need a good anchor. And Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 tells us that our hope of eternal life is through Jesus Christ and that that hope is an anchor for our soul. Now I want to talk about hope tonight because the Bible speaks of the coming of the Lord is the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ and that we are to hope to the end. On the first of this month, Brother Jury spoke on the five foolish and five wise virgins about our reverent expectation, and we look forward to that hope. But I want to spend some time tonight because ultimately, if, we, if in this life only we had hope in Christ, Paul said we would be of all men most miserable. I thank God that we live a better life, a more abundant life, I would not want to live a sinful life. The way of the transgressor is hard. I thank the Lord for the life that my grandfather discovered and then my dad on the other side of the family found when he was just a young man and that my siblings and I were raised in the church and there's a lot of stuff that we never experienced because we were not drifting out there without an anchor to the Lord and to our church. Well, I am grateful for that beyond measure. In 1 Corinthians 13, 13, the Bible said, Now abideth faith, hope, charity, or, or love, the love of God, agape love, these three, and the greatest of these is charity. When you talk about hope, you find that hope hangs out with some pretty important principles. Faith, hope, love, those three greatest things that Paul could name that are part of our walk with God. Faith, hope, and love. Faith has many dimensions to it. Hebrews 11 is that faith chapter. 
It is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I believe that faith is believing that God exists and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So faith is important. Faith is believing that God will do what He said He would do. Amen? That's our faith in the Lord. And love, the greatest of these three attributes that should be part of our life, you know, of these big three, uh, from the original language, it is the selfless love of God. It is love that is focused on someone else that is sacrificing. And when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you read all of the attributes of what love really should be. And love works in every relationship, and it is a very important attribute. Faith and love, there's also this attribute of hope. Hope is a confident expectation. It is a belief that something is going to happen even though it has not already happened. It is the act of hoping. Sometimes it is the thing that you are hoping for. It is actually the hope and the thing that you hope for. It doesn't come from our own desires, but hope comes from the Lord. He tells us what we hope in. The psalmist said in Psalm 39.7, My hope is in the Lord. Now hope, is not wishful thinking. And we probably all use the word, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, in the dead of summer, I hope it rains this week for the sake of my garden. We all have these kind of wishful thinking uses of the word hope. But hope is a lot different than that in the Bible. Genuine hope is a firm assurance about the things that are unseen that are still in the future, that we believe will happen in our lives. In Romans 8, 21, the Bible speaks about all of us that are the created beings of God. We're in bondage to corruption. And even those of us who have been saved, we groan and travail in pain. We groan within ourselves, waiting for the redemption of our bodies, the adoption, the, the placing of sons. And then in Romans 8.24, I want to show you this on the screens. For we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, doth he yet hope for. So if, you've, if you're holding it in your hand, if you've already gotten it, then you can't hope for it. Hope always deals with something that you have not yet obtained, that you do not yet have. Verse 25. For, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Paul said, when you really believe that even though it hasn't happened, that it will happen, then there is a component of patience that comes into your life that causes you to wait and wait, and wait, the Bible says, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. The, the, the time frame for patience isn't 30 seconds, or 30 hours, or 30 days, or 30 years, but the scope of patience for a child of God is unto the coming of the Lord. It is not putting a time limit on God. Patience is believing 
that God will do what He said He would do in His time, and we are hoping for that, and faith and hope work in tandem for the things that God has not yet done, but we have patience or perseverance until it happens in our life. Hope, hope in eternal life is the anchor of our soul. And it keeps us eager and it keeps us patient and waiting on the promises of God to come true. Anchors keep us from drifting. This is that confident expectation. 1 Peter 3.15 Paul said, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now I know Simon Peter is trying to prepare disciples to be able to explain the gospel or why do you live like you live? What is this hope? But Peter said there is a reason for the hope that we have. It is not blind faith. We are not just winging it or hoping on nothing, but we have hope that is an anchor. It is something that is real that our lives are anchored in. Some people hope for a better economy or for the doctor's report to come back, you know, good. They hope that the job application that they have submitted is going to be accepted. They hope that their marriage is going to get better. They hope that their children are going to turn out good. And many people hope in heaven. But if there is not a substance or a reason for your hope, then you are hoping against hope. You have human hope. But the biblical idea of hope is that it is anchored, that it is connected to something that really exists, that is objective. It is not just an emotion or a feeling. It is not subjective, but it is anchored in the promises of God. Outside of Jesus Christ, every human hope is without an anchor. But because we believe that our hope and our eternal salvation is secure in Jesus Christ, then we have a firm anchor of our soul. Now I read a few verses before our text because I wanted you to see that the writer of Hebrews uses Abraham and Sarah as an example of hope. And they probably would exemplify it as much as anyone in the Bible, uh, this illustration of Abraham and Sarah. The Lord tells Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. And the promise is first given to Abraham when he is 75 years old and Sarah is 65 years old. They have no children. Sarah is unable to conceive. And God says, you're going to have a son. Trust me and wait. The next year, Abraham's 76. You know, Sarah's 66. There's still no boy. Five years later, after God made the promise, Abraham's 77. Sarah's 67. You know, she has no son. There's no hope of a son. Ten years go by. And nothing has happened. And biologically... This promise is becoming more and more impossible. I mean, Sarah has never conceived. She's been barren since the time that she was young. Abraham, you know, time's wasting. He's not getting any younger. And it seems a little far-fetched when God reappears to them 
and says it is still going to happen. You're still going to have a son. And then for 15 more years, the Lord doesn't say anything. He is silent. When Abraham is kind of closing in on his centennial celebration, he's almost 100 years old. Sarah's 90. Think about this and smile just for a moment. What this was like when Abraham and Sarah talked about what God had promised them and they hoped that it was going to happen. Then three, three men, three angelic beings come to talk to Abraham and they say, next, time, next year about this time, we're going to be passing back through and you're going to have a son. Now Sarah is standing in the door of the tent listening in on this conversation between Abraham and these beings sent from God. And she laughs. And I really don't blame her. And the angel says, you laughed. And she said, I didn't laugh. Oh yeah, you laughed. Sarah, Sarah knows the condition of her body. She knows she's always been barren. And even if she had not, even if she had had 20 children now, it's not the time to start having babies. 25 years have come and gone since the origination of this promise. And human potential has exceeded its limits. I mean, the statute of limitations, you know, the shelf life is over. The expiration date says you are not having kids now. And after human hope has completely died, and when human ability has ceased to exist, God said, it's about time now for me to act. I want to just throw this in. It's really not part of my notes. It's really a whole other message about the ways of God, how there is a, death, a birth of a vision, and the death of a vision, and the supernatural fulfillment of a vision. But God makes promises then He lets them become humanly impossible. And sometimes they die a double death. And when we have completely surrendered to God and let Him know, we know it's totally impossible, then God says, well, you're ready now. Because you're not making it happen. and You're not going to have bragging rights when it does happen. So now I'm ready to act on your behalf. Romans 4 talks about Abraham and Sarah. Therefore it is by faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to also that which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that are not as though they were. That's what God does. God speaks to the things that do not exist, have not yet come to pass, as if they are in the past tense. Because God is not bound by time and space. Romans 4.18 Who against hope believed in hope. In other words, 
against what humans would say all odds. Against any human dimension of hope because there was nothing that said that could happen for Abraham and Sarah. He believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And because of that faith, and because of Abraham's hope, and therefore it was imputed or counted on his record as righteousness. What is Abraham's hope? Against hope, he believed in hope. Tells me to never give up on the promises of God. And to never look at circumstances because God always defies circumstances. Amen. You see, God can bring you through the dark night of waiting and He can keep your hope alive when it doesn't look at all that there's any sign or symptom that it's going to be as God said. Abraham didn't consider his own body dead or the deadness of Sarah's womb. When he looked at everything in his life, it just looked like it couldn't happen. But against hope, he believed in hope. And in Hebrews 6.18, in our text, that by two immutable things, and I'll break this down a little bit, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Now the two immutable things are God's word and God's oath. Immutable means unchanging or impossible to be changed. God's word is reliable. And when God told Abraham that he was going to have a son... God did not have to say or do anything else. But we find that for Abraham's sake, that the Lord confirmed His promise with an oath. Because the Bible said in this text that an oath puts an end to all debate or discussion. I've kind of signed my name in blood and sealed the deal. And that's what God did. And if you want to read about that oath, You can go to Genesis 15. I decided to not go there tonight for the sake of time. But there were pieces of animals cut. And at darkness, the Lord moves through the pieces of them. And He makes an oath with Abraham. And because of that, we have a strong consolation. And we have fled for refuge to lay hold of this hope. Now the Bible, when it says in verse 18 that we might have a strong consolation who have fled to refuge. It may be an allusion to the cities of refuge where a man who was accused of a crime, uh, killed someone accidentally, could run to that city of refuge. But here it implies that what we run to 
is something strong and secure that cannot be compromised. A strong consolation that we have. In the book of Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, I want to talk about God's promise. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Sometimes when we look at the evidence of the coming of the Lord, we can look at current events, but they come and go. Sometimes it seems like prophecies get heated up and you know we get our hopes up that the Lord is going to come in any time. And then it settles down. And in my lifetime, there have been kind of, you know, crests and troughs of the waves of prophetic fulfillment. And people get all worked up and prayed up. But then they kind of settle back down into a lull. But the Bible said that God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began that He would give us eternal life. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 19 said, Which hope? The hope of eternal life, the hope of heaven, that hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It is that thing which keeps us from drifting. It is sure, it is steadfast, and it enters into that which is within the veil. Hope is an anchor of the soul. And it keeps you from drifting away from the promises of God. Earlier in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, the Lord said we ought to give, or excuse me, the, the writer said, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. One modern translation says, or may drift away from it. So earlier in the book of Hebrews, he's writing to kind of nail down that we need to be careful that what we have heard doesn't slip away from us. This book of Hebrews, and the key word is better, is to remind us to not let our faith in God slip away that we need to have hope in the promises of God. This hope is sure and steadfast. It is firmly fixed. It's not like some of the anchors I refer to that are kind of, you know, drifting and slipping along a sandy bottom and you know, the anchor tries to bite into that and there's just nothing there. It's just too soft and the anchor is sliding and the boat is drifting. But that's not the kind of anchor that we have. It is sure and steadfast. Our anchor is not slipping along through human history tied to what is going on in the political and the economic world. Our truth, our hope, it's not fleeting. It is not emotional. If you wake up on Monday and you don't feel saved, if you're living for God, you're saved. Amen. If you come to church and you don't seem to be connected with what God is doing that day, you don't need to worry that your hope has slipped away from you. If you're serving God, you're in a right relationship. Your hope is anchored in a place that is not movable. Amen. And I've referred to us Pentecostals before because that's who we are. We believe in spiritual experiences. We believe in the manifest presence of God that where two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in the midst. We believe that He inhabits the praises of His people, Old and New Testament. We believe in that. 
But when I don't feel God, I am still right with God unless I have violated my relationship with Him. We don't need to let depression or bad days or difficult circumstances rock us and cause us to drift away from our hope. Our hope is sure and steadfast. Sure and steadfast. The idea of this anchor being sure means that it is firmly fixed, that it, it's kind of found a place maybe in a ledge or a rock and, and it's just there, it is not moving. And if you're in a current, many of you know this, when that anchor holds and you let out enough rope, I, I bought a book a few weeks ago about real anchors and anchoring and it's kind of it's a real short book, but you let out enough rope so that the boat has some room and, and if that anchor sets and there's a current that line will be taut and that boat will pull around and the bow will point toward the anchor because that anchor is hell. And that's what this idea that our anchor is sure. It seems to imply that the word steadfast refers to what is connected to the anchor and to our salvation. It's just a, an illustration that the cable or the rope is steadfast. It is not frayed, thin, weak. What holds us to our salvation is not going to break or drift away. Now, the Bible does not teach the doctrine of unconditional eternal security. My eternal destination is not eternally secure because there are two sides of this agreement. There is God's side and there is my side. And I can taste of the heavenly gift the powers of the world to come and I can crucify to myself the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. I can be disinherited by walking away from God. I can choose to backslide and so can you. So the reason our eternal destiny is not secure is not because of the anchor, not because of what Jesus did. It is on our end of choosing to stay connected to Him. Alright? But let me also say that while we have the choice to stay connected or not, on God's end of the line, our eternal destination is as secure as the nature of God, as the promises of God, as the power of the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is eternally secure from God's perspective. God is not fickle. God doesn't change how He feels about you from day to day. And too many people that I have worked with in my life fear that it is not anchored within the veil. They are afraid that on God's end of the bargain, on God's end of the agreement, that maybe it's slipping and unsure. Amen. So we need to have hope that is sure and steadfast. We don't need to have a relationship with God that is anchored in emotion, that is anchored in a, in a temporal experience that we may have or not have. Amen. All of us have experienced times in our lives when we prayed and we didn't feel anything at all. But God doesn't respond based on emotion. He, basically, he responds based on faith. That we pray believing that God will do what He said He would do. There have been times I have prayed and didn't feel a thing 
and God answered miraculously, and I was surprised, unfortunately. And there have been times I prayed, boy, I felt like everything in the world was going to happen, and, and the prayer was answered, and nothing happened that I could see. Because faith is not an emotion. Faith is a confidence. It is believing that God will do what He said He would do. Amen? And faith and hope work together. The Bible teaches us that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. The Bible teaches that the same one that begun, has begun a good work in us will perform it or complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So don't ever let the accuser, Satan, make you feel that you don't belong in the family of God, that you are not connected to your faith and to your eternal destination. Your anchor is both sure and steadfast. So hope does for the soul what an anchor does for a ship. It makes your faith sure and steadfast. And as it is with the mariner, so it is with the child of God. And so when there are storms or tempests in life, you have a peace that is past understanding. It defies logic because we are standing on our faith in God and our hope of eternal salvation. It's interesting that among non-Christian writers, a couple of different ones, but Socrates said... To ground hope on a false supposition is like trusting to a weak anchor. He also said that a ship ought not to trust to one anchor nor life to one hope. Well, Socrates, I guess, was a wise person. But I want to tell Socrates that sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. You're right in that we shouldn't ground our hope on a false supposition. But you're wrong in that all I need is one hope. I don't need to have hope in the economy or in other people. I only need to have hope in Jesus Christ. I am anchored in Jesus Christ, right? Sunday sermon. And that hope is the anchor of my soul. Amen. So, we believe that the anchor is lodged inside the veil. That Jesus is the forerunner and He has gone into that place before us. And he is there. Now, Hebrews 6.19 is a pretty amazing word picture. I like doing word studies. And often in the Bible, uh, there is a very vivid picture of what the Lord is trying to say. Not sometime as boring as we make the Bible. But in ancient sailing, one of the most difficult maneuvers was to take a ship from the open ocean into the harbor, because most often you had to go through a very narrow passageway. Uh, when I was a, a teenager and young adult, and I've been back through the years, you know, home, and my brothers and brother-in-law and I like to fish, and we like to go deep sea fishing. And if you come out of the ocean, and we used to go through what is called Hallover Cut in North Miami, uh, North Miami Beach, Pretty often, depending on waves and currents and tides, 
that's the roughest place of all. If you're out in the ocean, there's a little more consistent wave action. And if you're inside the bay, there's probably not much wave action at all. If it is, it's because of the wind and it's choppy and maybe the current is moving. But between the open ocean and the safe harbor is all the force of the ocean is forcing its way into this narrow passageway. And it can be extremely rough and difficult to navigate through. And I see a few people nodding that have gone through kind of a narrow passageway before. So the word picture that the writer of Hebrews has in mind is something that, that kind of depicts this maneuver of getting through this narrow passageway. It's interesting that the song that our worship team sang just a little while ago, the anchor holds in spite of the storm, it pictures what this writer saw in the book of Hebrews. It points to this very special idea. So here is a ship, it's in the sea, but it's approaching the, the passageway to get into the bay or the harbor. And as I mentioned, it's a very tricky maneuver. And there was a practice that was common back then in those days of sailing that in, you know they didn't want to run on a reef or a sandbar. So they would lower the sails and drop the anchor into a smaller boat, a forerunner, and that boat would row through the narrow passageway and the anchor would be dropped inside the harbor. And then with the sails down, that ship connected to the anchor would pull its way in. You could go through this passageway and the skeletons of ships would be there because they didn't make it through. They didn't follow that procedure of getting through that very narrow but rough passageway. And it would, it would change just like it does in modern days today. But this was the picture that the writer of Hebrews had in mind. That the, our hope is an anchor of the soul. And the forerunner Jesus Christ, He has gone ahead of us. He's gone before us. And He has anchored our salvation inside the veil. Inside a safe place of heaven's harbor. And so we're connected to Him He's already gone there. So we're not, we may be affected somewhat by the storms, but we have something more powerful at work in our lives. Look at verse 19 again. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which is entereth into that which is within the veil. Now, the real thing that happened. <clears throat> in the Old Testament that is kind of the theology of this, the biblical truth of this, was related to what every Hebrew Christian who is reading the book of Hebrews knew. That in the Old Testament, there was a sanctuary that was a place of worship. And we understand that tabernacle in the wilderness, there is a, a brazen altar and there is a laver, excuse me, a brazen altar and a laver of water. Uh, and inside there, there is the curtain. And in the innermost area is the holiest of holies, that place where God dwelt. And once a year, the priest would enter into the most holy place and he would pour blood on the mercy seat. And the Lord said, It's a mercy seat that I will meet you there. 
And everybody waited kind of with bated breath. Was the priest right with God? Was he going to make it out alive? But that priest would go beyond the veil and there atonement would be made for Israel for another year. That's what happened back then. But our high priest, who was not made after the Levitical priesthood or Aaron, for Jesus was of the tribe of Judah, and the writer of Hebrews said he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek, an entirely different priesthood that was before the law, after the law. And he's a mysterious figure in the Bible. But our high priest went beyond the veil. And you may remember that when Jesus died, that the veil that separated us from that most holy place was torn from top to bottom, that the flesh of Jesus Christ opened that way. But when Jesus resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, He entered into the heavenly holiest place. Amen. He is the one who has gone before us. And our salvation is not anchored in what we did. Our salvation is anchored in what Jesus Christ did for us. Amen. <clears throat> it is His blood that was shed. And all of the beatings and all the buffeting and all the trials, every temptation that we would ever face, Jesus Christ experienced all of that for us. And He has taken the hope of our salvation into that heavenly harbor, if I could say it like that. Our salvation is anchored within the veil. And we are connected to Jesus Christ by our salvation. And the Lord, I believe, is kind of spiritually, if I could stick with the metaphor, that He is pulling us toward Himself. We are being drawn toward Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, life sometimes is pretty tough. And we feel buffeted. We feel the wind action and the wave action against our lives. And there's no place in the Bible where the realities of life are tucked away in the fine print. I mean, even the Apostle Peter says, and I've referred to this in the last month, think it not strange concerning your fiery trial which is to try you. I'm shocked when people are shocked by trouble in life. And I shake my head when people are baffled by sickness and death and difficulty that comes in your life. Because it's going to happen to us between here and heaven. Just as sure as we're sitting here today. But our hope is anchored in a place that is sure and steadfast. It is unmovable, and if you will stay connected to Jesus Christ, your salvation is as sure as the blood of Jesus. He will never compromise His end of the bargain. And the Bible said that in Jesus Christ, we have not a high priest. He cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But in all points, he was in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we can come boldly before the throne of grace, 
that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I'd like for you to bow your head right now. The worship team is coming. As I prepared this message, I thought of people in our church who in the last number of years have been through difficult circumstances. And there's some of you that have been beat up, kind of battered in life. But I want to pray for you tonight. I want us to all pray for one another right now before we even make a move that the Lord would help us not cast away our confidence, that we would not let our salvation slip, that we would not let go of the promises of God. They are yes and amen. It is impossible for God to lie. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come right now. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this local family of God. I pray for people, Lord, who right now, Lord, some that are not even able to be here tonight, people that are shut in by sickness, people that are sitting here tonight and watching online, Lord, We have question marks, Lord, about the timing of God. And why, Lord, has your promise not yet come to pass? And Lord, no human being has a power to know what is in the mind of God. None of us are your counselor, Lord, to try to second guess you, Lord, or to try to decipher, Lord, or explain, God, your ways in our lives. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ right now that we would not disconnect, Lord, from our hope. For our hope is anchored within the veil, but sure and steadfast. I pray right now, Lord, for men and women that battle with depression, for people, Lord God, who have regrets in their lives, who look in the rearview mirror and would like to have done so many things differently. And the adversary of their soul, the accuser of the brothers and sisters, Lord, is accusing them and trying to make them feel unworthy of salvation. I pray right now against the spirit of doubt, Lord. I pray, O oh God, against the spirit of despair that would disconnect us from our hope in Jesus Christ. For Lord, we have in you a hope that is both sure and steadfast, anchored within the veil. I thank you, Lord, for the promises of God that are yes and they are amen in Jesus' name. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now and begin to just thank Him for the promises of God. Give us the faith of Abraham, O Lord who sometimes, oh God, against hope, we believe in hope. So that Abraham has become the father of us all.
Give us the faith of our father Abraham. Oh Lord, when there is no evidence of the promises that you've made in our lives, We cannot hold in our hands, Lord, that for which we hope. Let us see it by faith. And let us hold on to it by hope. And let us stay connected to you through love. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you would anchor us, O God, in our eternal hope, our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just stand now. Thank you, Jesus. If you're able, maybe for the next few minutes, join us at the altar. And let's come and just thank God that we have for our anchor, a hope that is anchored within the veil. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. And my hope is anchored in you, O oh God. I pray, O oh God, for people who feel unworthy and they do not deserve the love of God. I pray, O oh God, against that doubt and against the voice of the adversary, Lord. Give us this anchor of hope, I pray in Jesus' name. Sure and steadfast. Hallelujah. 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 Go ahead and open your heart to the Lord. I really feel like the Lord is trying to bring someone out of doubt and into faith. Hallelujah. I pray, oh God, anchor but someone today, oh God, that has allowed their emotions to get away with them. Jesus. Jesus, I pray, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 Shantaya and the Osata, Nina Matindi Osata Yaramaya. Yelemo Sondo, Yelemo Konda Yadamasata, Yolo Kondio Sotonamashata Yadamasata. Hallelujah. That's 
to lift up your heart and continue to just let the Lord. There's a spiritual surgery of sorts that's taking place right now. Amen.